This podcast is brought to you by listeners on Patreon. Thanks to Janine and Adam for making this episode what it isn't today. And thanks to Hedwig and Mario for being the worst. Welcome to the Probably Bad Podcast, a podcast which is definitely bad. I'm Pencil. Paper. Today's Probably Bad RPG idea is... Have your players roll very hard perception checks every ten minutes. When someone finally succeeds, that's when you reveal that the big bad has been stood five feet to the right of the party for the whole adventure. So, yeah, in terms of this idea... Obviously, the way it's done in the thing is maybe a bit excessive, but I do like I do like using perception checks as as an um, method of pushing the story forwards. Because the thing with perception checks is the fact that DM is saying roll a perception check already tells you that there's something to notice, even if you failed a perception check and you don't find it. So I feel there's something there with like using perception checks as like foreshadowing. Which I think has been has been done before, but just I like the idea of kind of that the big bad knows what you've been doing this whole time, mm. because then when you finally face them, just wherever that ends up being, they've got so much ammo. They know all of your weaknesses and all of your squabbles. Yeah, I mean, I guess like it could always be the big bad is like. I guess it's just the extreme version of the big bad is um you know, actually the team mascot or actually your friend. The big bad is actually a nebulous space behind you that you never thought to look at. The big or bad even is just your... the big bad was scrying on you. Yeah. Actually, oh, yeah, I do be... like the idea of the big bad being just in the corner of your eye the whole time. Yeah. That is some spooky shit. Yeah, like just yeah, like you could even do, like you could even do it as like you just occasionally mention this um like when you're describing people in the background like you just mentioned uh there's you know a kid and there's an old man in a green shirt and there's a couple and so forth and you go through the things and see if anyone mentioned notes remembers that you meant notices that you mentioned the green the old man in the green shirt every time and that's the big bad and he's just been in the background of all of the scenes i do love that the idea of just <laughs> it's very what's the word i'm looking for kind of gothic yeah just this kind of hovering threat that you don't mm. see as a threat until it's too late yeah but yeah like i hope i'm using gothic right well if we're not the internet will yell at us um yeah yeah or like if they're invisible and you just like keep leaving hints that there's something invisible moving around the way it's kind of the classic dm thing of oh i got a foreign investigation you are in a room it's that it's that same kind of thing like i got a i got a foreign perception there's a man except this time the man is actually nine foot tall fiery and has a skull mask you only noticed that it's a man (laughs) 
actually do like with like the old man the green top idea it's just mentioned you now you notice the old man the green top is also a pit fiend (laughs) (laughs) not sure how you missed that the first few times but yeah you could either do it very seriously if it's like yeah there's an invisible or like belief notice villain or do it entirely as comedy that Tarask has been like stood directly behind you for the entire adventure and you've just been distracted. There is also the concept of the the fact that the like the reason the perception check is so high is just the big bad is a master of disguise. <laughs> like the big bad is the shopkeeper that you met in the first town and the little girl that you rescued and the dog that you found. I just I just love the idea of like the party is following this dog and then the dog just turns around and takes off its dog mask, it's the Tarascan is like, haha, fooled you again. I don't know why the Tarask talks in this scenario, but I feel it needs to. Read I was just about to know this dog has a unibrow and a tattoo on its ankle. <laughs> Like, every time the characters meet a new person, roll um, a dice, and if it's a one, it's Count Olaf. Count Olaf would be such a good D&D villain, though, because he has all these (laughs) big, elaborate schemes that are very easily foiled. Yeah. He's a perfect D&D villain. Mm. Because part of why I like the series of Unfortunate Events books um, is kind of just the fact that he would be so easy to beat except the people with the actual mm. power to do so are useless yeah. and um, doesn't that just sound like every D&D one shot that's turned into a short campaign but, no. but yeah like I feel portraying all kings and mon- queens and monarchs and other quest givers as Mr. Poe from a series of unfortunate events also works quite well yeah, because like once again, it's people who have the authority and the power and the resources to do something about this, and just don't. I think what we've gone for here is just the series of unfortunate events role-playing game. I would play that though, as long as I got to play Sunny. Hmm. The, there are only three character classes, and those are the three orphans. And uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know what series of unfortunate events are, I guess this whole thing is very confusing to you. But if you want to find out, I recommend the books or the Netflix series, and not the film. I do. I do really, yeah, I do really like just master of disguise villain following around who may or may not be Count Olaf. Like even when you're not around people, they're a tree. <laughs> Like the kid no one likes in a school play. <laughs> That's their backstory after being repeatedly made to play the tree in um, the Christmas Nativity. They now have become the tree. I did and... once play a dancing cat in the Nativity play. Mm. I it was kind play... of a downgrade because I've I've been an angel and I've been Mary and then I was a dancing cat. The two roles I can remember from my school plays were Evil Robot number seven and Zombie number nine, I think. I'm not up on my scripture, but I don't remember robots <laughs> in the Bible. Well, I mean, clearly you didn't go to school with the cool Jesus. Nick, the producer, is just <laughs> silently losing it. 
Okay. There was rope. Okay, so it was like it was a like set in the future nativity. I went to a school with like the drama teacher who was like a sci-fi to... second coming. <laughs> like you know, it was the first nativity, but it was set in the future, and so we had to rescue Jesus from the internet. It was a while ago, so I can't remember all of it, but the point is I was an evil robot protecting Jesus. Wow. Uh, my, dra- my drama teacher um, tried to remain as avant-garde as he could while being a drama teacher, and my school was kind of, like, not good enough that, like, most people didn't care to- that he was doing robot future Jesus. So there you go. I don't know if that's relevant in any way to the question, but like, I hope you liked it. Speaking of Je- of <laughs> speaking of Jesus, speaking <laughs> of questions, <laughs> shall we do some questions? Yeah, I feel future Jesus is maybe the point that the conversation should move on. Um, so our first question comes from Dirk Ravener. I tried jamming for the first time a few a little while back, and while I probably did all right, I feel like there were a few areas that need improvement. What advice would you give for involving player backstories in the narr- player character backstories in narrative? This game in particular was one where I was trying to avoid overplanning, so rather than having the whole thing laid out, I'm planning just a few sessions ahead of where the players are. This is how I run my games. I love incorporating character backstories into the plot. So, there's obviously multiple ways that you could do this, but the one that I like to do is to take, because most characters' backstories have a person who there's not a lot of information about, there might not even be a name there, just stick them in as, like, intentionally or unintentionally helping the big bad like there was one where it was a character's kind of deadbeat dad who happened to also be a gatekeeper for this quite important magical artifact so yeah that was sort of one way of doing it or in a more minor way they can just act as sort of plot helpers Mm. so like maybe you happen to go to a character's hometown and then you can just muck around with that for a session or two. Just like, hey, your mum needs help with something. Oh no, there's a monster and stuff like that. Yeah, the way I did it in a superhero game I ran was for each player's backstory, I had like one big event which involved their backstory, like, you know, their archenemy supervillain attacking or what have you. Uh, and then I had sort of a smaller pl- plot thread that would go through, like a rival superhero is also doing things, and you occasionally hear about them and can go deal with that or not as you want. So, yeah, occasional big things where their backstory comes in versus just mentioning things in the background that, yeah, this is what this person's doing, or, hey, that person you saved now runs a cake store. I don't know why. That kind of thing. Yeah, or or you can do kind of have like a mini arc that's relevant to each character's backstory, but each one has hints to what the big bad is doing. 
Like you don't have to yeah. plan precisely what the big bad's overall plan is or what each step is, but it's just kind of say the big bad wants to take over X country. It could be like, okay, this character's arc involves I don't know, a, a county fair. The big bad has a minion there getting hold of something. You might want to deal with that while you're dealing with whatever that arc is. Now, in terms of bad ways to incorporate your player's backstory into the game, the only thing I can think of is backstory as a terrible use. I mean, Words. if if you're, you can't think of a way to connect a character's backstory to the narrative, you can always just tell them, like, mm. by the way, this is your brother. You didn't give your character a brother, but you have a brother now. And he's very important. Just, yeah, like, if you can't think of a way to connect your player's backstory to this game, ignore their backstory and just create your own backstory for their character. Just, yeah. I mean, we say that, that's kind of what happened in the first arc, the first series of the Adventure Zone. I mean, okay, fair point. Which means it's actually great advice. Be Griffin McElroy is the bad way of connecting <laughs> player backstories. So, yeah, try and be Griffin McElroy, and then you'll be, like, charming enough that the players won't mind that you've just decreed that... Instead of a dad, they have 30 badgers who spawned them from the ether. I've never watched the Adventure Zone, full disclaimer, but I think that's what happens. I mean, I kind of like the idea of a character that was raised by badgers. I like the idea of a character that was raised by badgers and didn't find out until three sessions in. The badgers were in disguise. I thought they were just tiny, hairy people. <laughs> Turns out that rather than rather than being a dwarf, you were actually raised by badgers. Because I'm trying to work out, because we had a question on the Tumblr about what sort of personality quirks someone raised by goats would have, which was great fun because my undergrad degree involved learning a lot about goats. So I'm just wondering what personality quirks someone raised by a badger would have, because all Never I can said. think of is Mr. Badger from Wind in the Willows. <laughs> All I can think of is, like, the honey badger never stops biting people. <laughs> they just they just bite every person they meet. So we're just circling back to Sonny Baudelaire at this point. <laughs> so this, this has actually been a series of unfortunate events podcast this whole time. That's what you get for not succeeding at your perception rules. <laughs> I, lo I love Mr. Badger from um, The Window Willows, but he never stopped biting people. It would certainly be an interesting adaptation. Next question. Yes, comes from uh, Sylvia. And they ask, I don't know if either of you have played Curse of Strahd, but if you have, then I have a question. Best and work to rocker deck readings? I think having the Sun Sword being like the Vistani wagon would be bad. Or if you haven't played Curse of Strahd specifically, pros and cons of rigging things like that as a DM. I rig uh, shit like that all the time. Hmm? 
I, I rig stuff like that all the time. I haven't played Curse of Strahd, but if players have, have got something like a deck of many things, and there's certain ones that would just... Well, if you go off and follow this thread now, the world will end. So I'm just going to secretly take these options off the table for now. Yeah, I... So I have played Curse of Strahd, but I didn't get to the point with the Tarokadet readings because one of the players insisted on having a spaceship and it kind of derailed the gothic horror of the game. Uh, random intrusions of sci-fi into things that shouldn't have sci-fi seem to be a recurrent trend in my life. But, yeah, generally... Like, with with divination card readings in games... I think it's generally just easier to say, yeah, you pick up a card and it's it's the one with a sun on it, and that means you need to kill a vampire. I assume that's what happens in Curse of Strahd. Like I said, we went off off script very quickly. Um, in terms of, like, I think with a, with the deck of many things, just don't put it in unless you're willing to have bullshit, like have it accidentally end the campaign. If that that's makes fair. sense. This was this was very early in my DMing career. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. But yeah, basically, I think like at the risk of accidentally roasting roasting paper, like if if you are doing a random thing and you need to rig it, then you possibly need to get the options that you need to rig to avoid having off the random table, or just remove randomness entirely and be like, yeah, you draw this card. So I didn't quite realize what the Taroka deck was, but if okay. it's divination, like absolutely rig divination. Yeah, uh, yeah, I believe just because you can't just have like, oh well, this is what I planned, but I guess we're gonna do this instead. Like yeah, if had characters been... use actual divination spells and say, like, okay, this is what I had planned for next session, so I'm gonna hint at that. Mm. Yeah, um, I have... So from what I've locked up of the Taraka deck, which was in no way literally just now... Um, yeah, I, I probably should have looked it up in advance, but I have been busy with, like, trying to convince my university to let me do my dissertation. Yeah, I've been... Good luck, and also I've been busy with the apocalypse. But... Well, that too. Yeah, so... Essentially, um, yeah, you it's you use a deck. It's essentially just a tarot reading, but like an in-universe tarot reading using decks of cards to represent fantasy tarot. And yeah, it it does seem like just yeah, it's meant to be that you decide where things are at that point using what you get. Like you get the one that means commerce, and you're like, ah, so it's in a bank or that kind of thing, but. Yeah, I feel I would absolutely rig that. Yeah, it sounds like it's almost a means of planning partway through. Yeah. Which feels odd and wrong to me. Mm. Not to like... If you like Taroka decks, then all power to you. But yeah, it seems like a strange choice. of. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash probablybadrpgideas. Rewards include access to the Discord server, which includes watch-alongs of bad fantasy and sci-fi films. 
homebrew content, and bonus episodes. So we have one more question, um, which comes from Raging Roses. My siblings and I are all going to be playing D&D for the first time. Do you have any tips for me as a DM? Because I don't really know what I'm doing. This is concerningly vague. Like, Step are one. you ready to DM? Be Griffin McElroy, as established. Like, it is hard to come up with just... I would like to know how to be a DM. Um... I like, think your... let your players muck around is important yeah, like... because that's how you get a lot of world building done. If you just railroad them, then there's there's no real stakes, I guess. It's just like, ah, there is, you need to save this village. Okay, cool, we saved it. I, I feel no emotions about this because we know nothing about the village. Yeah, don't overplan. Um, work on the assumption that players are going to go off script in yeah, like ways. The, the person in the first question mentioning only like fully planning a couple of sessions ahead is really good advice, honestly. Because mm. like, like I... obviously, you you want to know the vague beats, mm. but beyond that, a lot of it is going to be player driven, as it should be. And you need to be ready for that. Yeah, think yeah, think of it more as akin to like you are helping these people create a story rather than you are sitting on a big chair and telling these people what to do, which is a mistake a lot yeah. of starting GMs make. The DM or, is a player. Just yeah. a player that knows a lot more. Or sit on a big chair, um, make a crown, have a scepter whenever people don't follow your plot, hit them with it. I mean, there's nothing saying that you can't also sit on a big chair. Like, in our Discord game, we tend to change the nickname of whoever's running it to something like the Mighty DM or just God. Mm. So, yeah, walk in in, like, gold flecked robes and then walk in in gold flecked robes, put on a crown, hold out your scepter, and remember to be humble and not to overly control other people. As as you lounge on a satin chair and your players fan you and feed you grapes. Just make sure to also let the players have some grapes and then you'll yes. all have a great time. That works. Unless one of your players is a dog, then don't give them grapes. Also, don't role play with dogs. They can't hold a character sheet in their mouths. I mean, they can, but it's going to get wet. Mm. So don't uh, let your players have some grapes is quite a good metaphor for GMing, but also it's quite good advice if you're making your players feed you grapes. <laughs> that wasn't intentional, but I guess so. Like Everyone mm. needs some aspect of some element of power. Mm. Like when you make like if you're making a D and D setting or you're just like having them go to a town. Don't decide everything about this place in advance. Unless you're your players are going to want something that you didn't think of, but you wish that you did. 
yeah, like it's always good to let players have some input into the world building, whether that's explicitly, hey, what what do you want to make to build here, or if it's just like, I'm gonna go to the go to the tavern or something, and like you're like, okay, yeah, sure, there's a tavern here, which is a very boring yeah. example, but you know what I mean. I mean, with that example, maybe let them name the tavern so that they get more yeah. c- more of a connection. Yeah. Because you kind of you want them to have a sense of ownership over what is happening, rather than just yeah. being dumped into it. Yeah, I think yeah, general like. But don't let unless, them have a spaceship. Yeah, unless it's something completely ridiculous, like I would like a spaceship. Always try and say yes to your players, even if it's like you know a yes, but or yes, you can try or something. Like unless they are being completely ridiculous, don't say nope. You just can't do that. I think yes, but is a really good general dming rule honestly like yeah yeah there's there's there is this shop that sells an incredibly rare thing but you've got to get the shopkeeper on side first or you don't know where it is yeah but yeah so make sure your players have grapes as i feel the advice yeah again unless you're griffin mcelroy then you can do whatever the fuck you want but if you're not griffin mcelroy let your players have grapes let his players have grapes Again, I don't know much about Adventure Time. All I know is that... No, I would Adventure like Zone. Adventure Time is a different thing. I don't know much about either. But yeah, I, all I know is I would let Griffin... All I know is I would let Griffin McElroy come in here and break my legs and probably not complain. He's incredibly charming. <laughs> and on I that think... disconcerting <laughs> note, that's about what we've got for today. If you have a question, you can send it to us on Tumblr. Um, at probably bad RPG ideas or email probably bad podcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Nick Blake for editing. And if you want to support us, we do have a Patreon um, where you can get access to the probably bad D&D server where we do various watch alongs and talk about games, uh, homebrew content, and bonus episodes. Um, or you can support us by leaving us a rating or a review on your podcatcher of choice. We're pro- we're currently on five out of five stars on Apple Podcasts. It's very exciting. Um, or you can follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook. And remember, remember to have, to have a probably, probably bad, bad day. day.